And hello, and welcome to Hacks on Drac, a podcast celebrating the legacy of Bram Stoker's iconic vampire novel. I'm Matt. I'm Chris. And we're here today with the final episode of our, our main series. We're going to do two episodes where we talk about Dracula spinoffs, but as far as our analysis of the main Dracula series goes, we're on our, our final film for this. That's right. The final episode where we're going to just talk about one movie for the whole episode. And it's a good one, too. It's a pretty good one. We, we saved it for last. It's not the, the most iconic one, because for those of you who are just popping on in this last episode, uh, first of all, why? But also, <laughs> like, in case you don't know, this is a podcast where we've been examining the legacy of Dracula and going from the book all the way through like all the major film adaptations and trying to figure out where pop culturally people's view of Dracula comes from because Mm -hmm. most people when they vision Dracula it's nothing like it's in the book it's kind of influenced by pop culture as a whole and we've been looking into that through this entire podcast and we've had some big kind of iconic Dracula moments and things we've talked about the book we've talked about the play a little bit we've talked about you know, the Bela Lugosi Dracula, the Christopher, Christopher Lee, Lee yeah. Nosferatu, Werner Herzog. We've done both Nosferatus. Both Nosferatus. Every kind of iconic vampire Dracula kind of thing we've we've talked mm-hmm. about. But this one doesn't quite have that status. And I feel like it, it deserves to be a little higher in the, the echelon of Dracula adaptations than it is. And mm-hmm. also it's really funny. And also it's our podcast. So <laughs> I just wanted to talk about this one. Sure. We're talking about today Dracula Dead and Loving It. The Mel Brooks 1998 film. 95. 95? No, I thought it was. I thought it was later than that. It says 95 on here. Oh yeah, he did. Say, it is 95, huh? Late, late 95. Late 95. Interesting. Well, there you have it, folks. The 1995 Mel Brooks film, Dracula Dead and Loving It. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's this is a Mel Brooks movie. So it's it's a comedy. So this is a comedic version of the the Dracula narrative that we've been talking about this whole time. Yeah. And we just watched this a couple weeks ago. It was the first time I had seen it. And I, you know, I remember when the movie came out. I remember seeing the commercials and everything. But um, I just assumed because it was a Mel Brooks movie that it was like an original story. Yeah. And it's actually a relatively faithful adaptation. Yeah. And it's pretty funny, too. Yeah, as far as like, I mean, like, obviously it deviates from the book as many of our adaptations do. But as yeah. far as getting that kind of core Dracula story, and especially kind of the. What most people, I think, kind of imagine is like the the film Dracula narrative, mm-hmm. like the the play narrative. It does a really good job of sticking to that because, yeah, this is definitely an adaptation of the. This definitely follows the play uh, the most out of you know anything. So. Yeah, and it's also I think we you know we noted this when we were watching it that like a lot of Mel Brooks movies like introduce like technology that clearly wasn't around at that time or like yeah. references to modern pop culture. Even though, like in Robin Hood Men in Tights, there's like a ton of just like, you know, oh, that shouldn't be there. That doesn't yeah. make any sense. But there's like really not much of that here. Not really. I mean, there's like, there's the only joke I can think of that's maybe like this. I don't know if, at what the timing is on this, but there's that joke in there where he, where, um, Dr. Van Helsing's asking Dr. Seward if he has any books on the occult. And he's like, do you have this book about like werewolves and da da He's like, no, I don't have that. Do you have da da No, we don't have that. He's like, do you have Nosferatu? like yes we have nosferatu we have nosferatu today which is a reference to we have no bananas today which i don't know when that came about as a joke it seems like it's probably it sounds kind of modern yeah i'm not a a joke historian so i'm not sure but like uh so like there's like that but yeah it is very much it stays pretty grounded in its time period and there's no kind of yeah. Time discrepancies or anything. Yeah. It's very close kind of comparatively, I think, to Young Frankenstein when you look at it, because Young Frankenstein, also an adaptation 
of a well-known horror movie mm-hmm. also kind of takes and patchworks a bunch of different adaptations together to make make like a yeah make like an ultimate kind of adaptation and it's very faithful to the source material while being funny as well and that helps you kind of I think it helps people get into horror more movies like Young Frankenstein and Dracula Dead and loving it because one of the hard things I found when I was rewatching all these Dracula movies for this is that like the Dracula stuff is awesome but there's also a lot of boring ass exposition in these movies totally where just it's just like boring white people sit in chairs in a room and talk to each other about like Dracula and stuff that's happening. Yeah, and but, I think you know now that we're towards the end of the uh, the movies we're covering, it's pretty obvious like a lot of people go into a Dracula adaptation thinking like, oh, well, it's going to be original because we're introducing this aspect, and that like was never you know either not ever featured in the film or it's like in the book and they're finally adapting that kind of section or whatever, but a lot of times it just it's like it can be like the wrong choice like i feel like the movies that have focused more on like van helsing and uh uh one of lucy's suitors um, oh arthur yeah like yeah. them like them teaming up and then like a couple adaptations have really focused on that yeah there's been a there's been a few of those more than i thought yeah like at least two um yeah i guess like when you're if you're like a filmmaker going into an adaptation of Dracula, you're going to want to make it different somehow. Definitely. So it stands out. Yeah. And this, and yeah, and making it funny is a great way to do this because yeah, like we said, it's like some of these get like really boring at times. And when you have comedy, it's good because you can have those expositional bits and you can put Mm -hmm. jokes into those bits. Yeah. And that's, and that kind of makes them work. So, you know, when they're all puzzling around, like Lucy's losing a lot of blood, you know, and and having all those kind of like boring moments that happen in Dracula where you're just like waiting on her to turn into a vampire. So the movie can can keep going. This has, you know, like jokes where he's like, you know, like the joke where Dr. Van Helsing's like telling them, he's like, can you explain that? I can't explain that. I can't explain that. No one can explain that. And you've got stuff like that going on. It's so quotable. Yeah, it is. It's also like, it's also a Leslie Nielsen film. Yeah. So like, we should mention that Leslie Nielsen plays Dracula in this. Yeah. And I'm a huge Leslie Nielsen fan. Like, oh, I, sure. like these kinds of movies, I'm surprised I waited this long to watch it because like even like a movie like Spy Hard, I find very hilarious. <laughs> oh yeah, Spy Hard has its moments. Spy Hard's not a great movie. Like it's yeah. like Leslie Leslie Nielsen kind of does better or worse depending on who's mm-hmm. making the movie he's in. Like the Zucker brothers do a great job using him because they keep him kind of uh you know kind of straight laced and he kind of right, you know does right. a good job of playing like almost like a straight man type character because Leslie Nielsen was a serious actor. Yeah, and I, I actually just got done watching. I think Red Letter Media put out a video where they were talking about. Like Leslie Nielsen and, you know, how the Zucker brothers used him right because, you know, Leslie Nielsen was like a serious actor. Yeah, yeah. When he started acting, he was in, you know. Did you see Prom Night? Oh, no. I haven't. Is he a bad guy in Prom he, Night? That Actually, he might have already been doing um, Police Squad by that point. But he, yeah, he's like the main, he's like the. I think he's like the detective on the case in that movie. <laughs> Interesting. Cause yeah. like, when it's I was a straight role, is not comedic at all. Yeah. When I think of straight man, Leslie Nielsen, I always kind of think of uh, what's it forbidden planet. I think he plays like the main captain in that he plays like the uh-huh. flash Gordon type character. And I also think of creep show. Oh, where, oh, where he right. plays the bad guy that buries Ted dancing in the sand. That was definitely, well, I think that was, was like, that? I think that was like right before airplane right. airplane right before was airplane, what yeah, yeah. Airplane, took guess, him off as a, yeah. as a comedic actor. Well, what was police squad? Was that before? 
Airplane? I think that was a, I think I want to say that was after Airplane because I know that they specifically got Leslie Nielsen and a bunch of other actors for Airplane because they were all like straight actors and they wanted all the ridiculous lines just delivered with like seriousness so that you know Robert Stacks in that movie and I'm really surprised they have not remade uh, like the Naked Gun or Airplane at this point. Well, they made Soul Plane. Did you see that? That's supposed oh, to be an that? Airplane remake. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I think oh, I just assumed that was like an original Snoop Dogg. I, th- I think it's one of those things where like the, it got rewritten so many times by the time it came out, it's basically its own thing. But right, it's I remember right. when it was being promoted, it was like this is the the black remake of Airplane. Oh wow! And I was like, I never ever heard that. Interesting. Oh, Police but, Squad was nineteen eighty two, by the way. So yeah, pr- uh, I think Prom Night was like that same year. Yeah, well, Police Squad wasn't like a big hit, the TV show. It right. wasn't until they made that into Naked Gun that like that really took off. Yeah, totally. Um, but this is. But this is. But going back to my point that Leslie Nielsen's a serious actor and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the Zucker brothers used him right and used him as serious roles. And that Red Letter Media was t- video I was talking about, they talk about how you know other directors kind of like have him doing goofier things and mm-hmm. making faces, and that's not the right way to use Leslie Nielsen. Like Spy Hard kind of falls into that a little bit. Was that? There's another '90s one, wrongfully, wrongfully accused. accused. I was just about to <laughs> say that. It's that, like the fugitive. Yeah. Oh god, that parody. movie's such shit. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. It has like one or two moments, but it's like such trash. Yeah. But like this movie's good because like yeah, this is definitely like when people talk about Dracula Dead and Loving It, they treat it as kind of a lesser Mel Brooks movie mm-hmm. for some reason. But this is bro. This is both a Leslie Nielsen movie and a Mel Brooks movie, and he uses Leslie Nielsen appropriately because he's very straight laced. He does a good job playing Dracula. No, I think. Hilarious! I was laughing my ass off. Like, and he gives him kind of like a dignity, but he's still like really goofy and. Yeah, he's a good Dracula, and I love like the, the references to the Gary Oldman Dracula that are throughout this because it's only a few years after that came out. Yeah, this this does a good job of like what Mel Brooks does good on this, and especially like Young Frankenstein is he. He kind of takes a bunch of different adaptations and puts them together mm-hmm. so well that they almost become like the best version of that story. Yeah, like yeah. something I like to talk about with people a lot is like, you know, when you think of like Igor from Frankenstein, you know, you always think of like this thing with like a black hood over it, you know, his name spelled I-G-O-R. Right. And I'm pretty sure like, I mean, I'm not a Frankenstein historian either. This is a Dracula podcast, but I'm pretty sure Mel Brooks is the one that invented that specific version of, Dra- of, of uh, Igor. Because before that, because it's based off of in the Universal Frankenstein movies, uh, Bela Lugosi plays a character named Igor, spelled right. Y-G-O-R, right. and he's not a hunchback. He His neck is broken because they tried to hang him and his neck broke, but he didn't die. And I guess through some weird loophole, like he was hanged as part of his sentence, but he lived through it. So he got to go on like a loophole and he lived in like the abandoned Frankenstein castle. And that character wasn't in the book, right? No. Oh, yeah. yeah like in, yeah. And in the first Frankenstein movie, there's no Igor at all. It's just Dr. Frankenstein and some asshole <laughs> who do dig up the monster and everything. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. So, so Mel, Mel Brooks took like the first four Frankenstein movies and like condensed them down so well that like people treat that as, you know. Yeah. Well, because, yeah, if anyone thinks of Igor, they think of a guy with a hunchback. Yeah. And like in that black thing and, you know, and the fact that his name is I-G-O-R, it's a play off of, you know, the fact that like Frankenstein's name and that is Frankenstein. And, you know, when he meets Igor, he's like, is your name Igor? He's like, no, it's pronounced Igor (laughs) because, you know, Igor, Y-G-O-R. So he's playing the son of that Igor. So he's I-G. So it's it's all it's interesting how just like a a dumb comedy movie kind of was so influential that it like, you know, made its way into kind of mainstream horror and mainstream kind of pop cultural collectiveness so totally and so movie, i think and this kind of does the same thing it takes a couple different versions of dracula and it puts them together yeah like it's obviously i think this is based the most off of the the bella lugosi dracula yeah you've got uh 
you've got you know the Renfield character at the beginning kind of doing all the Jonathan Harker, Harker thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've got the Dracula that's interacting with everyone. He's more of a suave guy than like a monster. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also influences, like you said, of the uh, the Francis Ford Coppola Dracula. He's got the the big butt the hair. Big hair that he. It- <laughs> That's a hat (laughs) that he takes on and off freely. Uh, His shadow moves around independently of him, like it does in the yeah the Francis Ford Coppola one, which is great. But uh, you know, I think The Simpsons did it like two years before that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think The Simpsons is still the best parody of the Francis Ford Coppola Dracula. It does a real good job. Um, Yeah, I I do think that came earlier than that. You're right. Um, Yeah. You know, it's weird though, is that you know clearly this was you know bound to get um compared to young frankenstein it being like another monster parody or whatever but yeah. uh having rewatched robin hood men in tights last week after seeing this that movie references young frankenstein like directly at least 10 times <laughs> it, it references a couple of mel brooks movies because they he says uh dave Chappelle brings up blazing saddles at the end I oh think. Yeah, yeah yeah totally yeah that movie's like very like fourth wall breaking and yeah. meta and yeah and uh and all that kind of stuff the walk this way thing uh then like richard lewis has a mole on his face that keeps moving (laughs) oh yeah and he like acts surprised when someone like points at his mole (laughs) it's just like a lot of just very similar things to young frankenstein totally but yeah like people always like i remember like when this came out like it flopped and people didn't really like it and i think i think it's just what you said like it's like it's being compared to like young frankenstein and and we were just talking about this too that like Mel Brooks movies are kind of so iconic like his his big movies are almost so iconic that even like his lesser movies even if they're pretty good they still don't quite you know they're they're not history of the world part 1 or or a young frankenstein or a blazing saddles or a or like a one of those like yeah. or even like you know spaceballs or or something like that but they're still pretty good yeah and uh you know i like dracula dead and loving it better than you know like like high anxiety oh, or <laughs> god yeah we were just talking about that high anxiety stinks. life stinks <laughs> well life stinks is interesting in it in that it's a, a mel brooks movie but it's not it's not like a you can't like find a direct parody. like it's not like uh like oh this is parodying robin hood or dracula or whatever it's like it's kind of like an original story yeah, it's kind of like a, in the style of this kind of movie sort of yeah but it's you can't like it's hard to pinpoint exactly like what he was parodying. It's more of like an original story, oh, okay. but it also kind of sucks. So. <laughs> <laughs> I remember liking it as a kid, but then I I watched it like not that long ago, and it was just like, wow, this is not good. Yeah. Well, I so. think part of the reason too that people kind of don't view this as much of a great uh, Mel Brooks movie is that like it is a good movie, but definitely watching it, it didn't feel quite as Mel Brooksy as some of his other movies. Mm-hmm. Like you could definitely kind of see that Zucker Brothers influence, you know, especially because Leslie yeah. Nielsen's there. You're automatically kind of thinking of that, right? And just like the type of humor and the kind of like the dry, witty back and forth that seems more like a like a like a Zucker Brothers thing at that time. Well, I'm sure, yeah, and it's it's like you know, uh, snake eating its tail on that like the Zucker brothers were clearly inf- influenced by Mel Brooks. Yeah. And now like Mel Brooks is kind of influenced by Zucker brothers here. Yeah. And it's and like, I'm sure. Like they, the, the two teams like played off each other quite a bit throughout the eighties, but um, yeah, like it's cause yeah, it's like, it's a good movie, but you're watching it and you have to keep kind of reminding yourself that like, this is Mel Brooks that made this, yeah, even yeah, though yeah. he's like in the movie, like it feels like a movie that's like has Mel Brooks in it, but it's being made by someone else. Has he ever been in someone else's movies? 
I mean, I don't think was was to be or not to be directed by him. The oh, movie with I him and Anne Bancroft in it together. Ah, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm sure he's popped up in like guest spots and things yeah, and like, like cameos like, and you know, like Woody Allen every now and then would do a movie that he didn't direct. Like like ants. <laughs> ants. Uh, scenes from Mall with Bette Midler. Oh yeah. God, I haven't thought that's about that a, in a while. That's a terrible movie. Did you think that Bette Midler would come up on our Dracula podcast no, ever? No, didn't. <laughs> and I was just reminded of my parents getting my brother and I a babysitter one night so that they can go see scenes from a mall. <laughs> <laughs> they came back and they were so disappointed. <laughs> oh, man. That's, well, I mean, I could have told them that. Yeah. Were your parents into Mel Brooks? Like, is that how you were introduced? They were, yeah. Like, I mean, especially growing up, like, my my family, well, my mom especially, was, like, really big into horror stuff. And that's, like, a, especially as a kid, that's kind of, like, how you're first introduced to a lot of scary stuff, I feel like, is, like, the comedy versions of things. So yeah. Dracula, Dead and Loving It, and Young Frankenstein, and, like, the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. Yeah, the more lighthearted. Kind of stuff like that. So, yeah, so I definitely watched this a lot. And this was kind of, this was for me, like, for a long time like the definitive version of, of the Dracula story like when I thought of like narratively like Dracula like where I first learned you know that person goes to Transylvania to sell a house to Count Dracula and Dracula comes back and you know that whole story this is I think where I kind of saw it mm-hmm. done first and I was expecting with this podcast after having watched all the other adaptations of Dracula that I would find one of them better in some way or something mm-hmm. but Honestly, I, after having gone through all of them, I think I still just like Dracula Dead and Loving It the best. <laughs> as far as like a serious Dracula goes, I definitely have like opinions on that now. But if you could tell me like pick any version of the Dracula story to watch, I yeah. think it would still be this. Like the the characters are all fleshed out really well. Even characters that in other adaptations you don't really give much of a shit about. Like they they're still endearing. I, I would still go with the Werner Herzog. The Werner Herzog one is is, is like pretty good. Yeah. Like, it's the best of everything. That's my number one as far as like serious Draculas go. Yeah. yeah. As more but, uh, comedic ones, yeah. Yeah. This one. But you de- you definitely have to be in a mood to watch the Werner Herzog one. That's not like a like a Dracula you can just like pop on and just like have on in the background mm. with like dead horses in the, in the background. Yeah, it is, like, it's pretty dark, you're right. You know, like it opens with literal corpses in a in a room. Actual corpses. Yeah. Uh, but if you want to know all about that, you can go listen to our Werner Herzog Dracula yeah. episode. Oh, I meant to say that at the beginning, that people can jump around, really, listen to any episode. They can jump around, jump around, jump, <laughs> jump up, jump up, and get down. <laughs> jump, jump, jump. We're in a goofy mood today, folks. I apologize. Um, you ever been somewhere where someone puts that song on and people start jumping through during the jump jump and then like after like three or four jumps everyone realizes like, i can't keep, this <laughs> they up, can't keep up <laughs> i don't think i've ever been to a party where that's been played period like i i always think of when i think of that movie i think of the beginning of mrs doubtfire when oh. they're throwing that party oh, and mrs yes. and robin oh, williams house and there's like a horse in the house and, that's and he's the, like dancing on the table with his hat backwards yeah and that's yeah. the final straw with him and sally field's marriage <laughs> that he brought a horse into their home that's what sets off the offense of Mrs. Doubtfire. I know. I feel like if, if you're going to... We're leaving if, this entire episode unedited <laughs> and just releasing it as is. If your husband is going to go to the level where he, he like rents a horse and brings him into the house, like you had to have known by that point who you were married to, right? Right. Like It just seems like 
you don't walk into a house and find a horse and like really be all that surprised. <laughs> I just I just didn't know him. I thought he was I thought he was such a well composed adult who does sound effects for for cartoon movies. Yeah. God, that movie's so weird because clearly he's just like he's just like kind of like a fuck up, right? Well, like he's supposed to be a fuck up, but he does like foley sound effects for like movies and shit. Like he's they try to play him off as like a deadbeat, but like it's yeah. And th- but then they they try to play him off as a deadbeat when he shouldn't be, but and then they also try to play off the fact that he's like stalked his way back into his own family <laughs> as endearing when it's clearly just creepy and weird. Yeah. Like, totally creepy. Just flip those two emotions around. I'm like, like, oh, well, I'll just I'll do this character as a uh, children's TV show. And yeah, it's like if this was real life, like that guy would just be in jail. Like there wouldn't be <laughs> like oh, a yeah. show about it. Oh, <laughs> like, no, yeah. No way. They would ever let that guy ever be within 5 feet of a child. <laughs> anyway, what do you think Mrs. Doubtfire's favorite Dracula movie is? <laughs> oh, good question. I think Mrs. Doubtfire's favorite Dracula movie is I feel like she'd be into the Frank Langella one. Frank Langella or the Jack Palance one. Yeah. I could see I could see Mrs. Doubtfire appreciating because they're both well no, the Frank Langella one wasn't a British production, was it? Maybe it was. I don't no, it wasn't, I don't think. No. Okay. I think it just has Donald Pleasance in it. Alright. Was Bob Hoskins ever in a Dracula movie? I don't know. He would he'd be a good one. He'd be a good like Van Helsing, right? Or like a Dr. <laughs> Seward or something. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, totally. He's British. Should have. Or he was. Yeah, was like, retroactively, <laughs> if we could bring Bob Hoskins back from the grave, we'd put him in Dracula. Oh, yeah, I also wanted to bring up that, like, the scenery of this I was looking online was inspired by, like, the hammer Draculas. Oh, yeah. Like, all the, like, sense. all the dry ice and fog kind of low to the ground at all the, yeah. the, you know, crypt scenes and... Because when they were talking about doing it originally, they wanted to do it in black and white, also like Young Frankenstein, uh-huh. but then someone brought up that there's also a lot of great color Draculas, and so they just went, okay, and then they just put it in <laughs> color. I kind of think this would have been better in black and white. Um, I think it would have been better too, but I also get why they didn't, because I mean, like, and if you do it in black and white, then you're really inviting comparisons to Young Frankenstein at that yeah. point. Like, you, you want it to stand on its own a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, yeah. No, that makes sense. Um especially being Dracula versus, yeah. So. Totally. Um, um, so I guess we could just talk about the characters a little bit. Sure. We could go straight into that. Um, so we've got, uh, this movie opens with Renfield. He kind of plays all the, he does all the Jonathan Harkery stuff at the beginning. He's right. he's very much the, he's very much based off the Dwight Fry Renfield from the, the Bram Stoker movie. Mm-hmm. He's the solicitor at the beginning. He gets hypnotized by Dracula, does all Dracula's work throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah. Uh, and he's played by Peter McNichol. And I think this is, this has to be like one of my favorite Renfields. Like I think, I oh, think totally. the Werner Herzog Renfield is still like my favorite. Like when I was reading like Dracula, the book, like that was the Renfield I saw in my head. Yeah. But Peter McNichol is a close second because he does such a good job of like playing crazy. Yeah, totally. Like, and he, he does a good job of kind of bringing, like he's, he's very much the comedic relief in a movie full of funny people. Yeah. Like it's, it's yeah, interesting yeah. to see because like this movie definitely has like straight people, but it's Mel Brooks and everything's kind of silly. And it's interesting that there's still somehow like a comedic relief character in this movie mm-hmm. full where everyone is just saying funny shit all the time. Yeah, definitely one of Peter McNichol's better roles, too. Totally. And he does a good job, too, at the beginning of playing kind of like nervous and, and everything. Mm-hmm. And then he plays crazy later on. And he also has a lot of just good like dry line deliveries that I love, like the, the scene in Dracula's castle when the Dracula's brides come up to him and they're like dry humping 
behind the furniture. He's like, my God, (laughs) what are you doing to the furniture? Yeah, it's like Peter McNichol. I might be in the minority here, but I kind of can't stand him in Ghostbusters 2. Oh, he's he's like one of my favorite parts. That movie's like trash mostly, but I love him. Like he's like, he's Vigo. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Like. Where are you from, Johnny? Upper West Side. side. <laughs> no, like I think a lot of his, like a lot of those lines are like, like obviously they're all very quotable and stuff. But at the same time, it's like, why is it funny? Because he has a weird accent. <laughs> Basically, I think it's just that Ghostbusters Two is such a bad movie that I'm just grasping for anything that's kind of original or endearing yeah, about it. The first thirty minutes of Ghostbusters Two is really good. All the best stuff with Ghostbusters Two is like what they're doing when they're not the Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah. I wish just Peter Venkman's like weird psychic show was its own movie. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, but yeah, Peter McNichol, like he's a you know he's been in a lot of good stuff, but this was uh, definitely one of his more like the funnier roles I've seen. And he, and he has a good Renfield laugh like that. And he's like where he keeps eating the bugs and like denying it. (laughs) I think that was one of the scenes that like they decided to, to make the movie based off of because someone just like thought that up as like a funny scene and they just went like, let's make a Dracula movie. Keeps eating. Yeah. Because for the uninitiated, yeah, there's a scene where Dr. Seward played by Harvey Corman in this, uh, is talking to Renfield outside on like a patio. They're eating kind of like a, like a brunch together or something. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of like trying to get to know Renfield and uh, Renfield keeps like snatching like bugs off the table real quick and throwing them in his mouth. And then, you know, like, Dr. Seward looks up and is like, oh, what, did, did you just put a bug in your mouth? Like, no, no, I didn't. Yes, you did. I, I saw you do it. Like, no, it was, it was a raisin on the table. Like, And it just keeps it escalating. It's where so he's, like, long. throwing his silverware off the table to get, like, crickets off the ground. And there's, like, a cricket leg sticking out of his mouth. And he's still just like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Harvey Corman of uh, Star Wars Holiday Special. Change, <laughs> his most known role. <laughs> he's great in this. He is, yeah. I love his weird obsession. Like, Give him an enema. <laughs> Right. That's like his his cure all for like every like mentally ill person <laughs> in his facilities enema. to give him an enema. It'll yeah. make him feel like he accomplished something. Yeah. Amy Asbeck is Mina Seward in this. Yeah, Miss um, Mrs. John Ritter, Amy Asbeck. Oh is, god, yeah. That's right. She's also in uh, Men in Tights. She isn't yeah, this movie has a couple people from Men in Tights in it, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh well like well, Steven Weber, he wasn't in anything no. Mel Brooks, was he? I don't think so. He's a weird dude he is a weird i like him in this okay he's he's probably this is probably my favorite version of john of jonathan harker i have to say because jonathan harker is mainly the worst part of every adaptation of dracula <laughs> we've watched because he's either a dumbass or he's played by someone who by someone does some, someone weird him. yeah and or he's just like real bland and boring and and Stephen Weber does a good job of playing like a very kind of like too uptight kind of Victorian British person, but still kind of gives him some personality. And yeah. he has a per- an actual purpose in the story. Yeah, totally. And like, I love the scene at the beginning when they're in the opera. He's like, oh, the opera full of sex and violence and mystery and intrigue. All the things I've been trying to repress in my life. <laughs> or something like that. Who else? What other characters? They So Seward's in it. Uh, Lucy's in it. Mel Brooks is obviously in it as Van Helsing. Yeah. Um, Lucy's played by Lisette Anthony, who I don't think I've seen in anything else, but she does a good job. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and they do the whole thing where she dies and she comes back as a vampire. Yeah. But they do away with a lot of Lucy's uh, suitors. Yeah, they do away with with that whole thing. And I don't think Seward's, isn't he like, 
Mina's uh, dad or something. He's he's Mina's dad in this, yeah. yeah. I like what they do with this one, which I feel like more of the adaptations, it would have been interesting if they had done is made Lucy the one that's attracted to Count Dracula. Mm -hmm. So we've seen a bunch of them where Mina's attracted to Count Dracula to the point where she's almost like in cahoots with him. And you're like, what are you doing, movie? Yeah, totally. But like for Lucy, who's someone who's kind of, you know, a little more flirtatious and, yeah. you know, but you know, unable to choose between men. It would make more sense for her to be the one that's attracted to Count Dracula. And and that's how he kind of, like, has his end to, like, come in and, like, you know, bite her and everything. I feel like the Christopher Lee one was like that, wasn't it? Did it? Like, I, I, I think it started with her, with Lucy. These movies are all boring together in my head. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that Lucy is, like, put, like purposely, like, leaving her window open to have Dracula okay but that stuff. i mean but that seems almost more kind of like a hypnotizing kind of That's thing true. it's not so much That's like true. a he, she's being like seduced by him kind of normally right right i don't know yeah yeah i mean the way that all these adaptations just switch characters names and relationships and everything it's like it is hard to yeah, like, keep on top. I honestly thought, like, by this point in the podcast, like, I'd be more, like, well-informed of Dracula and know what happened in all the adaptations better. But I feel like as we keep going, like, I'm they, they all just become, like, one big Dracula blob in my head. Especially, and that's... Yeah, since we've, we've been... We've... Just so the listener knows, we've been recording this for maybe five months. Now. <laughs> so we've been, we've been. I don't know about recording it. We've been, we've definitely been, we've been working planning. on it. Like yeah. we, we had to like read Dracula and do a lot of other stuff. But yeah, we've been, it's we've been living movies. with this for a while. A lot of movies to watch. A lot of um, uh, scheduling mishaps and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of like uh, we did one episode and I was just like I don't like it and then we <laughs> did it again. A lot of shit like that. Yeah, it's been a it's been a journey, definitely. I'm uh, glad we are ending with this one though, because it's a good fun one. It's a good it's, fun one, and it's, it's like one of the better ones. Yeah, it's a good palate cleanser after every single one of them taking themselves pretty seriously. Pretty seriously, yeah. Like in, in this, yeah, I have to say for something that's like as jokey as it is, it's it it's a very good adaptation. Like it's I don't know what it is about like comedy adaptations of things that somehow get it more right than like the serious version. It's how like Muppet Christmas Carol is like the oh, Dick yeah. the Dickens Society themselves has been like this oh, is probably say. the most faithful adaptation yeah. on film of yeah, that yeah. story. That makes sense. And it's a and it's a movie that has a, a furry bear playing one of the characters. So <laughs> I only just saw that for the first time last year really yeah oh god that's great no, no, no that's not true i saw it in the theater when i was a kid but i didn't you just hadn't seen it again in a while yeah but yeah there's like a lot of these like comedy adaptations and they and they get kind of like neglected because it's like people think that just because something's funny it also you know yeah can't serve a purpose but but this definitely i think like it's it's contributed to the dracula zeitgeist the least in that it's you know it is an ad it is kind of like a parody and it's taking mm -hmm. it it's more of a reflection of everything we've seen so far than kind of you know adding to it yeah. You know how we talk about, you know, how like the Bela Lugosi Dracula is the first one that had him like interacting with people, you know, and mm -hmm. the, you know, and then, you know, the Frank Langella ones, like kind of what made him like real sexy and yeah. all these kind of things. And this one doesn't really have anything where it's like Dracula dead and loving it did like this to, to, you know, the Dracula mythos, but it's, it's still pretty good. And it's unfortunately Mel Brooks's last movie. Yeah. He hasn't done anything so cool. else. He probably won't. He's like 90 something years old. Yeah. I mean, uh, he got, I think the producers, uh, the musical was shortly after this came out. So I'm sure he just got so involved in, in that. Yeah. He, I mean, he like, then, yeah, he's been, he's been real involved in the theater since this yeah, movie. Yeah. Frankenstein. Uh, do you think it was just that, like, I guess he was just like so disenfranchised with like what a bad reception this movie got and how like, yeah, I mean, I'm looking right now, just, you know, Rotten Tomatoes, it's 11%. And some of, some of the, 
the uh, quotes are like so harsh. I feel like if this movie came out now, people would actually really love it. Oh, yeah. Because you'd be like, oh, yeah, it's Mel Brooks. He's hilarious. He's great. Leslie Nielsen. Yeah. But now it's like, back then it was probably just a lot easier to shit on stuff like yeah. this. Well, and it's like, it's it's weird too. Like it's, because there's like a lot of like public figures, who, you know, they go through like their prime, people love them and everything. And they hit that kind of like middle age period. And then like everyone hates them. They're not young enough to be like the young new thing anymore. And they're not yeah. old enough to kind of be an elder statesman of their craft yet. They're kind of just like right in the middle. Right. And it's kind of like when Bowie was like in his 30s, he kind of reached like the late 80s and everyone was like, stop please like (laughs) and now you put on um modern love or let's dance at any uh dance party and people fucking go yeah it's like so yeah i think sometimes those things that come out during like an artist's like middle period it takes a while for people to glom onto them because it's because yeah they're not like hip and fresh but they're not like an, an elder statesman it's kind of just like their middle work sort of yeah and at this point like mel brooks was at that period where he was just like cranking out films you know like Robin Hood Men in Tights, it came out just right before this, just right before that was like Spaceballs, and just right before that, like he was just like doing a thing like every year. So this was, yeah. I, I think, I feel like if people knew that this was going to be the last Mel Brooks movie, maybe they would have been nicer about it. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> yeah. like, you think to a director that's like so well liked, you know, that people wouldn't be so quick to like just dismiss it. Yeah, it's, and it's not like it's bad. It's just like it's it's just not history of the world part 1 and he just has like yeah. such prolific. He has he's almost like his his catalog is almost like too prolific for his own good. It's yeah. hard to like how do you make something as good as Young Frankenstein again, you know? Well, I mean, I think... Without I, it be seeming derivative in some way. I'm pretty sure even, like, Spaceballs, critics hated when that came out. Yeah. And that's clearly a classic. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about Dracula's appearance, his powers, and all that kind of stuff. We've done that on all our other episodes. Um, so yeah, so Dracula in this is played by Leslie Nielsen. He's, mm-hmm. uh, he's dressed very much in the classic Bela Lugosi getup of the, you know, the tuxedo and the metal and the cape. He has kind of qualities of the Francis Ford Coppola Dracula with the shadow moving around by itself. Yeah. And his giant butt hair that's also a hat. <laughs> Which he takes off at the beginning of the movie. I think he puts it back on later. Yeah, well he goes to the, the ball at the very end of the movie and he gives, and like the, the, coach that girl's like may i take your cape and he's like no but you may take my hat and then he just like pulls his hair off and gives it to her and she's yeah. just like disgusted <laughs> uh yeah so he yeah so his shadow moves around on his own he transforms into a bat in this which is played by mm. leslie nielsen in a giant rubber bat suit <laughs> that's then right. cgi shrank down to look like a tiny bat <laughs> which i think is hilarious it's a good sight gag yeah he like crashes into windows and stuff um he uh can hypnotize people he doesn't do the green mist at all in this, does he? He doesn't do the green mist in this at all. There's there's a lot of mist in general in this movie. I, I don't know if that's influenced by him or if that's just kind of the hammer. Like, we just need a lot of dry ice to make it look foggy and spooky around. Yeah. Um, but he does, uh, he sleeps in a coffin. He right? sleeps in a coffin, yeah. He can't come out during the daytime, uh, which we find out through that hilarious dream sequence where he tries to where he goes out during the daytime and thinks he's cured and starts drinking wine and chicken. Yeah. And because, uh, you know, he does the lines like, I don't drink wine. And he goes, oh, what the hell? Because he's in the park and some couple like offers him wine and chicken. Yeah. He doesn't understand how he's out in the daytime. There's all these like happy people having picnics <laughs> and they're giving him food. And he starts just like smoking. <laughs> and then he wakes up. He's like, I had a day mare. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so he can't be out in the day. Uh, 
he can hypnotize people. He hypnotizes Lucy to, or no, Mina, I think, to come out yeah. during that scene where he's trying to get her out and the maid is also in the room. He's like, stand up. Right, and then right. they both stand up. He's like, no, you sit down. They both sit down. He's like, no, you stand up and you sit down. And then <laughs> and they like walk into each other. And... Like, I love humor like that, where it's just like a stupid joke that's just like taken way too far. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, it's when it's just funny too, to just watch people get like slowly more and more frustrated with like basic things that yeah, should yeah, be yeah. really easy. And then it just kind of, eh. yeah, there's a lot of that kind of humor in general in this movie where it's just like really kind of like basic repetitive kind of stuff. And it's just like so dumb that it's, it's funny. Yeah. Like, you know, when Dracula and Van Helsing are having their face off and they keep trying to get the last word in by yelling mm-hmm. like some random Romanian word at each other, like, and then like one of them walks out the room and yeah you know what's weird is i don't think we watched it but apparently after the end credits roll dracula responds despite being dead giving him the true final word oh i do remember that yeah, yeah. like when the credits are going up at the very end like it, the screen's just black and then you just hear him yell something else again. yeah yeah <laughs> so so yeah funny. so so dracula's also very petty that's another quality of his <laughs> in this movie um yeah, and he doesn't, I mean, there's no, like, transforming into, like, wolves or anything, or, you know, he drinks blood in this, he can't be around garlic, it's it's pretty basic vampire yeah. stuff, they don't really bother with making, like, a lot of Dracula adaptations try to make the vampire powers, like, specific and different for their adaptation, this very much just goes, like, you know how vampires work, we'd rather you focus on the story and the mm-hmm. jokes than how like our dracula is different or something he's pretty he's pretty standard fair but he does a good job of being a standard fair dracula and he's has a very kind of like seriousness and regalness to him and (laughs) manages to still kind of you can kind you can still buy him as like someone who could like seduce somebody in this you know it's not unheard of yeah i was just remembering the scene where harker puts the stake in um is it oh god yeah and it's like the blood just like keeps pouring oh yeah while we were watching i was like this had to have been done in a single take because it would have been such a mess to clean oh yeah it's like yeah (laughs) yeah for for those that don't know yeah the scene where uh van helsing who's played by mel brooks in this we should say Mm -hmm. uh van helsing and jonathan harker go to stake lucy and uh jonathan harker in what is the best joke of the movie puts the stake into her chest and you can't see lucy at all and he like bangs it down once and like a cannon of blood like shoots up at him and then mel brooks is like hit her again <laughs> and he hits her again <laughs> and it just like it's like even more and then like and apparently when they were filming that scene like uh they didn't tell uh, Steven Weber how much blood was going to come out oh, when he so hit. His... So his reaction was genuine. Yeah. And when he says, like, she's dead enough, that was an ad lib. Oh, wow. Because, yeah, like, yeah, the whole scene is, like, the two of them go in and Mel Brooks, like, stands behind a column. He's, like, not hit at all by the blood. <laughs> yeah. He hits, you know, Jonathan Harker hits her once, like, a cannon shoots up and Mel Brooks is like, hit her again. <laughs> she's almost dead. He's like, how much more could she have? And then, like, even more comes out and then he goes... Like I think she's almost there, and then he, and then John the Harker just drops the stake. He's like, "She's dead enough," <laughs> and that was an ad lib. That's great. Um, so Steven, yeah, Stephen Weber, who was also um, Jack Torrance in The Shining. <laughs> I can't believe you brought that up. I'm trying to block that out of my brain. I yeah. think. Yeah, he plays the yeah he plays the Jack Nicholson character in the Stephen King official adaptation, which he wrote. Yeah, he wrote the uh, screenplay for that. Yeah, it's a, it's, I mean, like, it is closer to the book, but it's also a shit because that kid is very bad at playing Danny Torrance and Steven Weber is yeah. not great at playing yeah. Jack Torrance and, and all the special effects are very bad. Yeah.
for the uninitiated, it is basically just the, the plot of uh, of the Bram Stoker Dracula, you know, with the Renfield character playing the role at the beginning, and then Dracula comes to London, all the stuff happens. One thing specifically that I like that this adaptation did, and I wanted to bring up, because I thought it was based off of something else, but I really like the scene when Dracula is exposed at the end. Mm -hmm. They put together a big fake ball at the end and invite Dracula and he's unmasked because they have a curtain up against the wall and they yank the curtain off and it's just a giant mirror and you can clearly see that Dracula is like dancing and you don't see his reflection. And I yeah. thought that was a cool scene that they yeah, have like yeah. a little trap they set for Dracula and then he falls into it. And uh, and yeah. Uh, but real quick before we go, I just wanted to do do a quick shout out to Mel Brooks's version of Van Helsing. I really yeah. like that Definitely. take on it. It's a good cross between the old Dr. Van Helsing and the kind of more Peter vampire Cushing. huntery, yeah, yeah. Peter Cushing, yeah, totally. Lawrence Olivier version. And the scene where he's like training his interns at the beginning and he's handing them organs and they all keep passing out is very funny. <laughs> so like what now that we're we're getting towards the end, like what would you say are like the defining characteristics of a good Van Helsing? Because <laughs> um, there have been a couple that have been a little over the top. Yeah, I, I think like even the Peter Cushing one is a little, it's yeah, you know. Kind I of think it's it. yeah, like I, I mean, I there all the Van Helsings. I have to say there hasn't been like a Van Helsing so far where I've been like, eh, like maybe the Lawrence Olivier one. Like I almost kind of treat oh, Donald right. Pleasance in that movie more as the Van Helsing character say, than, yeah, than he, him. He plays uh, Seward, right? Yeah, he plays Seward, um, and he he was specifically asked to play Van Helsing, but he just got done playing. Uh, dr loomis and right. halloween he didn't want to be like two like hunters of evil in a row and get typecast but he but, but the screenwriters more or less kind of turned him into van helsing yeah pretty much <laughs> yep. but like what do you think it is like what like what is it about um, the van helsing character that like we could see like mel brooks is like a yeah good van helsing like, i think i think what i like about van helsing is when he's more just like a, a normal guy like yeah. I, I don't like the so much like you know like when van helsing's depicted as being like very occulty or where he's like cosmically tied to dracula kind of like how yeah the, the francis ford of, coppola one implies right i kind of like when he's like learning stuff as at the same time as the audience yeah like it's more and it's like also an investigator type yeah and it makes yeah. him it makes you more able to put yourself into his shoes and it's a more interesting story just like that a normal person could stand up against something evil like totally. I, I still love that scene in the in the bell lugosi dracula when it's van helsing with his guile haircut staring off against dracula <laughs> and dracula like puts his hand out like come here and van helsing just like he starts to like walk and then he just like stands in place and it's yeah. It's really tense. Like, so I, I do like him when he's more just like a normal doctor who's kind of has an interest in the occult and knows some things, but like you said, is kind of figuring it out as he goes along and yeah. makes plans and they get kind of screwed up. And the later ones kind of, yeah, turn him more into like this like force of like vengeance and justice against vampires. And mm. who could you see? Like, I actually think like Hugh Jackman was horribly cast as Van Helsing. I haven't even seen that movie yet. But oh, it's, um, it's 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 it doesn't deserve all the hate it gets, but it's also very bad. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like why would Hugh like Hugh Jackman just seems horribly miscast in that role. Yeah, like just, yeah, that one definitely turns him into like a like a occulty huntery type. Yeah, who do you think should play Van Helsing? Like, if anyone could play him, I think like Patrick Stewart would be good. Patrick Stewart would be a good Van Helsing, definitely. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh my god, I'm. I think being British is a good plus. Being British is a good plus. I don't know, like like Sam Neill, would he be a good? Oh, Sam Neill. Van Helsing. Is he British? I think he is. Oh man, there's way more British actors that perfectly do an American accent than vice versa. <laughs> oh, oh, for sure, definitely. 
Whenever uh, an American does a British accent, like they just get horribly criticized for it. Totally, like, I don't know. Keanu Reeves included. Oh God, yeah. Like it's <laughs> yeah. If you're if you're really not well, because a lot of American actors just go like British and they don't like try to learn that there's like a difference between areas in England. Yeah. They don't like go for like you know like a like an Essex accent or like yeah. something. They just go like British and then they talk like Dick Van Dyke from Mary <laughs> Poppins and they go like good enough. Yeah, actually, Keanu Reeves could be a good Van Helsing. Keanu Reeves now would be a good now. Van Helsing. Yeah. <laughs> Post Matrix Keanu Reeves yeah. uh, would would do a good job. Uh, would, would Christoph Waltz be a good Van Halen? Oh, totally. Dracula, <laughs> I come to stake you. <laughs> yeah, he'd be really good. He's been biting young ladies on the neck. Just <laughs> <laughs> uh, gonna do a whole radio I'm drama about Christoph Waltz as a vampire hunter. I'm trying to think of someone like really out of the box outside the box like uh, judy dench, judy dench. <laughs> make judy dench fan helsing yeah or like samuel jackson uh i feel like sam actually samuel jackson would be a good he'd be a good dracula <laughs> i could buy him as dracula definitely yeah why not yeah who would be like that's an interesting question now that we've kind of reached because this is the last episode of us doing this normal talk and if if you cut this out of the actual episode we can talk about it again in the next one when we wrap yeah. stuff up who would who would be your like dream dracula dream if you could dracula. cast anyone as dracula joaquin phoenix interesting he's like good in anything and i'd see i feel like if he was cast in a dracula movie he would take it beyond seriously I could I could definitely see that. Yeah, especially if they start him out as an old man, you know. Yeah, I'd like to see Daniel Day Lewis try to do something oh, with Dracula. Man. That would be insane. With his whole like weird like intense like yeah. method acting, just like really getting too into it. Or if Paul Thomas Anderson directed it. Oh God, yeah, like, <laughs> and you know, like yeah, like Daniel Day Lewis would be like a stickler, and he'd want you know to do like the to look correct at the beginning like all old and weird but he yeah. could also kind of pull off being a younger kind of more suave if the studio wanted to kind of push it more in that direction or and he seems like he's crazy enough to decide to play dracula like what does he act like once every seven years or something something like that and and you could like and just like because when he makes movies he's in character the whole time like he mm -hmm. notoriously made a uh, Steven Spielberg call him Lincoln the entire time he was on the set of Lincoln or refer to him as like Mr. President and when he was making my left foot he made the staff like push does him he, around in a wheelchair the whole time does he really do that he really does that that's gotta be so fucking annoying it's well, like him and him and Liam Neeson almost got into a fight on the set of Gangs of New York I think it was because oh, wow. because Daniel Day Lewis wouldn't stop calling Liam Neeson his character's name oh my he God. would only refer to him as that and like Liam Neeson if you don't with his Liam Neeson intensity was like just not him. out I will find you and i will kill you my name is liam um i'm sitting in my ford taurus oh liam neeson would be good van helsing oh yeah that would be yeah he van would be helsing like really good Daniel and you could buy oh god that's the movie hollywood if you're listening to this rambly ass <laughs> thing we're making make our dracula movie with daniel day lewis and and who did we just say liam neeson liam neeson thank you i've been drinking uh <laughs> I haven't, but I say that sometimes, and I say stupid things. You've been drinking coffee. I've been drinking coffee. That, you know, sometimes. I'm all, I'm all jittery. Similar. Anyway, um, so yeah, so on our next episode of Hacks on Drac, is there anything else you'd like to say about Dracula Dead and Loving It? Um, watch it. You should definitely don't, watch don't it. Don't it's avoid a very it good as one. long as I did, because uh, I feel I regret 
not having this. Movie. Yeah, we, we haven't mentioned all the jokes in the movie yet. I want there to be some things that you kind of just discover as you watch it, but it's a very good version of Dracula. It's almost so good, like, if you were teaching a class and you were, like, sh- and you wanted to show a movie of Dracula to, like, your high school class to, like, so they have, like, a movie version, just yeah. put this on. The sure. kids will actually pay attention to it. Yeah. It's, you know, you can discuss the differences between, like, the play and the book afterwards. It's a... If you're going to show a Dracula, that's the one to show. And it also doesn't have any boobs in it, which is a problem for a lot of <laughs> film versions of Dracula. A lot, yeah. Um, yeah, so go ahead and watch it. On our next episode of Hacks on Drac, we're going to talk about the various spinoffs of Dracula that are out there and uh, discuss them. There might be some that Chris has seen that I haven't seen. There might be some that I've seen that he hasn't seen. It's going to be a little faster and looser than the rest of our series has been so far. Yeah, but if you want to catch up on any of them, we're definitely going to talk about Dracula 2000. The we're going to talk about Dracula 2000, Gerard Butler. with Gerard Butler and Hyde from and West, that 70s show. Wes Craven uh, produced it. Wes Craven, I believe he produced it. He yeah, had he had some involvement with it that wasn't directing. He sat in a meeting once. <laughs> they had a, he, we give him a credit. They went, Wes, if you put your name on this poster, we'll give you some money. And he went, okay. And Can that you was... imagine how many movies are like that? Where it's like, from the creator of Knocked Up. You know, and it's like <laughs> Judd Apatow sat in literally one meeting yeah. and was like, yeah, that sounds funny. How about you have a scene where uh, the guy's tires explode while driving? <laughs> I'll take money, please, now. That's like when you watch like any show on NBC and it says it was like executive produced by Lauren Michaels. I'm like, you know he doesn't even know the oh, show God. exists. Like yeah. He's doing so much. He doesn't have time no to deal with Late Night with Seth Meyers. Yeah. Like, he... It's insane. Well, maybe he has time for that, but not like, I don't know. There's other like weirder, smaller shows that like, like, like I don't think he had anything to do with 30 Rock, really, probably. Oh, probably not, yeah. Oh, but anyway, so Dracula 2000, <laughs> Dracula 3000. We're so we're so just like over talking about Dracula. We're just like talking about anything else. Uh, uh, yeah, Dracula. we're gonna talk about Dracula 2000. We're gonna talk about uh, Dracula Untold, I think. Yes, the uh, Universal's first attempt at creating a shared universe. Not to be confused with their second failed attempt to create a shared universe. The Actually, some people said that the the Wolfman with. Um, Benicio del Toro was actually supposed to be the first. Oh, that was one. supposed to be. But that one's at least good in that it doesn't try to like set up shit. Like it, it just exists as a standalone movie. So even though it failed, you can just watch it and enjoy That's it. That's what people keep getting wrong about these shared universes. They don't realize like what Marvel did was they focused on single characters and then teamed them. Yeah. Up. Well, it's I like mean, everyone else is like working backwards well everyone makes that first movie and they try to like start slipping shit in there it's like no make one see if people actually enjoy that and then move like iron man one is a standalone movie has that scene at the end with nick fury but even if that ended after iron man one you just go like that's a good movie yeah and has that weird tag on scene you'd be like that's fine yeah like that's where the end credit scene comes from it's like this has nothing to do with the movie but like in case something does happen here's this but you know you watch like batman versus superman and it's like the second movie in the series they're already like setting up all the shit and it's like people didn't like the first one like yeah. it's that is so weird when they announced that samuel jackson had signed on for like nine marvel movies or something as nick fury before iron man had even come out i think yeah and like now it's just it's standard it's like, yeah it's just like a given like oh yeah they're signing him on a contract for nine movies because he's gonna appear in one scene in like seven of them <laughs> Yeah, that's why John Hamm doesn't want to do any of those movies. He's like, you basically have to sign a contract for like a decade to be in any of these films, so I'm not going to do them. Chris <laughs> Evans has been in any movies other than Marvel movies like the past he, 10 years. He was in Snowpiercer. I didn't see that. He was in Scott Pilgrim. I didn't see that, so therefore it didn't exist. It didn't exist. <laughs> um, he was also the original Human Torch. He was. 
So other Dracula spinoffs we'll be talking about are... Um, we're going to talk about Blackula. We're going to talk about uh, uh, Van Helsing. Van Helsing and some of the Hammer sequels. We're going to talk about some of the Hammer sequels, yeah, because we did our episode about Christopher Lee, and uh, we talked about a, a couple of them, but some of those are just like so weird. I feel like they deserve a little extra care and attention. And there's some where he doesn't even talk. He just like hisses. Yeah, there's some where he doesn't talk and he just hisses. There are some where it's like it's just Van Helsing in it and not him. Like I, I'm especially curious about the one where Van Helsing fights ninja vampires that doesn't even oh, have wow. Christopher Lee in it. Yeah, I want to watch that one. That one seems insane. Do you or, know what that one's called? Do you remember? It's, it's the very last one in the Hammer series. I can't, I think it's called like Dracula and the Seven Ninjas. It has some name like that. <laughs> if you just, if you Google like the, the Hammer Dracula franchise, it's the very last one. So wait, Dracula's in it, but Christopher Lee doesn't. Dracula's in it, but Christopher Lee's not in it, oh, no. But so Peter weird. Cushing is, unfortunately for him. Yeah. But fortunately for us. Uh, so, I don't know. If I can manage to find that on YouTube or somewhere, that would actually put that shit up for stream. <laughs> we yeah. might watch that. And the Dario Argento Dracula. Which yes. is pretty recent, right? It's pretty recent, yeah. Like, and I think it's... Uh, I'm going to just look that up. Yeah, Dario Argento's Dracula 3D. It's, yeah, 2012. Pretty recent. And it's terrible, you said? It's very terrible. I think that might be the only, like, straight-up adaptation of the Dracula story like we've been talking about that we're going to watch on this episode because it's just so shitty it belongs with the spinoffs. And are you judging this based on the 2D version or the 3D version? Uh, the Well, I've only seen the 2D version. I've, here's oh, how bad a movie wait. Dracula, Argento's Dracula is uh, like i got this movie as a free dvd in a mystery box that like i sent away for you know how like loot crates and stuff like i got this in like a loot crate nice. like they're literally giving this film away it's so awful but uh wait is it like the 3d like with the red and blue glasses no it was just, oh, a, it, was just it was just the, a 2d, 2D like version because i had one i had like the uh my bloody valentine 3d uh, like on blu-ray and it came with the red and green glasses oh, it was before nice. like 3d tvs were yeah. uh, like a thing you could buy that's how my um, friday the 13th part three is yeah i have that too it looks like shit, though. <laughs> oh, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good to watch a movie like that. Um, so, yes. I, I have a 3D TV if you want to try to watch uh, Dracula 3D. If we can find it, yeah, yeah. I'd be down. You have All the right. glasses and everything? I do. I don't think I've ever watched like a like a at-home 3D You're TV before. You're not missing much. <laughs> like, I've done like the store demos where you put it on for five seconds and go like, okay, that's kind of giving me a headache and yeah. then walk away. But like, I've never tried to like watch a film like that. So, yeah, I'd be down for that. Jen, my wife, can't even... Her eyes don't see 3d oh. so uh so we she refuses to wear the glasses at home so i just gave up <laughs> trying to watch any 3d movies in here even with like because you have like the shutter ones right yeah it doesn't matter like if we go to the movie like we found out when you know like they started releasing a lot of 3d movies i think we saw Coraline in 3d and at the end i was like the 3d was like really amazing in that and she's like i didn't notice anything that seemed 3d and then we saw like another movie and we realized like oh she like we looked it up afterwards like some people just can't see through oh. like their eyes don't work together the way most people do it's like five percent of the population or something interesting <laughs> yeah it's weird it's so like i know some people that can't watch those because like they like i have a friend who like he, like he has like a glass eye and like and he can't do those because they're all like depth oh, perception based yeah, but yeah. like well yeah she just sees it like flat but did they? I, I feel like the 3D fat's kind of going away, right? I think so. They yeah, still like, release every movie in 3D, though. I, I haven't been to one I think in it's so just, long. Yeah, like, but they don't like market. I think they just keep doing that, like, because they just like money and they, they just, just know just that some to. people will just pay more to go see that. But it's like, I don't think, yeah, like, because I remember there for a bit, yeah, like, and you're getting people that were specifically filming in 3D and now, like, all the 3D just like post convert and yeah. just like 
slap slap the 3D on so we can just like charge Which, five more dollars for a ticket. It sucks because the movies that were filmed in 3D actually look pretty good. Like Prometheus looked amazing yeah. in 3D. Well, I mean, even, I mean, Avatar is a shit film, but like, yeah. the, but it was actually filmed in the 3D and everything. And you watch it and you go like, wow, this looks really cool. Is it's he a doing dumb that? movie, but is it's, he doing that for the sequels? Oh, is that still happening? He's making like three. <laughs> He's making three sequels right now. He's been talking about that for years, and everyone's just like, no, James Cameron, no. (laughs) Stop it. So odd. So yeah, so that's our our episode of Hacks on Drac, and and yeah, we'll see you all next time. So from us here at the podcast, we'd like to say good evening. evening.